1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 13 through 17. So if you have your copy of God's Word, turn there with us to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 through verse 17. Had 8th grade promotion for Brady this past week, and Bell had 5th grade. And at Brady's 8th grade promotion, the speaker was... Uh, Hamilton County District 3 school board member Joe Smith. And as the families were sitting in the bleachers and the students out on the field, uh, Mr. Smith began to tell a story about how he once was able to participate in the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. And he said as they were walking into the stadium, he and the other and, and all the others with the American athletes and everybody else walking in, he looked over and he saw the late Kobe Bryant walking pretty close by, and he thought, man, if I could get over to Kobe, I could, get on, I could be on television, right? So he's trying to make his way over there. He makes his way over there, and he sees that Kobe's weeping. He had a chance to ask him, are you okay? He said, man, I'm just overwhelmed that I get to play for my country. I'm just overwhelmed. And Mr. Smith said, it was just an overwhelming moment. And he said he began to look up in the stands, and at some point they got to a certain place they were to look up and acknowledge George W. Bush, the president who was sitting there, among other world leaders. But when you get to this place, America, look up here, and, you're, and of course, President Bush will be there. And so that they're walking through. He said he begins to look around. He sees sitting up here, he saw his dad sitting in the stand. Dad had been dead for years. A little further, he looks, sees his grandmother. She'd been dead even longer. Looked over, saw his third grade teacher, said she was mean as a snake, but she impacted his life in a very positive way. And he said he began to dawn on him. He was seeing people that had gone before him and who had an impact in his life. He said when he got to the place where President Bush was to be seated, he said he looked up, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he said something like this. He said when he got to that place, he looked up, and, and, and then he stopped, and he said this. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this. And then he said it anyway. <laughs> And he said, when I got to that place, I looked up, I didn't see my dad, didn't see my grandmother, didn't see my third grade teacher, didn't see President Bush. All I could see was the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, and I realize that this is not our home. We're just passing through. And he went on, shared some other things. And I got to thinking, man, why would Mr. Smith say that I may get in trouble for saying this? Because he might get in trouble for saying that, right? I mean... He's in between these two worlds. He's first and foremost a follower of Christ, but God's put him in a place of public service. And how do you manage those two in that real tension there? That we're in this world, but we're not to be of it, right? That here we are strangers in this strange land. We're wanderers in this world. We're exiles on this earth, and we're passing through. And Peter is drilling down deep. And today, I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't want to preach this message today. I wish we could skip this text today. I don't like it. But the Holy Spirit has shown me He's not called me to like it. He's called me to live it. So you're not going to like it either. So we can just not like it together. How's that? So here we go. This, this message is entitled, A Word No One Likes. Just a word no one likes. Maybe you remember that vintage cereal commercial. He likes it. He likes it. Well, well no one likes this, I promise you. So 1 Peter 2, I'm going to start in verse 13 and read through verse 17, and then we'll unlike it together. How about that? So here we go. 1 Peter 2, 
uh, 13. If you're there, say I'm there. Here's the text. Let's go. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Father, we pray you'll help us today as we hear your word, as we receive it, as we respond to it. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to your church today. We ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said. So here's our our takeaway for the day. The, The sermon in a sentence, if you ask me what it would be, here it is. Our submission to authority is our strongest apologetic. Our submission to authority is our strongest apologetic. And what I want to do as we think about submission, I told you it's a word nobody likes. I mean, who in here likes submission? Who in here likes to do what you're told to do? I know I don't. Who in here likes that? Nobody likes that. We don't like rules and regulations and restrictions. Absolutely not. And this this text is God's answer to our anti-authority age that we live in today. This is God's answer. It's not my answer. It's not your answer. It's not our answer. But it's God's answer to the anti-authority age in which we live. Uh, If you were to ask me, what is the hardest doctrine uh, to understand? Well, I would point you, at least one of them is the doctrine of the Trinity. That's pretty hard to understand. One God and three persons. If you would ask me, what's the difficult, the, the hardest doctrine to believe? I would say, well, today it seems to be the doctrine of hell. Everybody seems to have erased hell and dismissed hell rather than telling people how to miss it and how to escape it. If you were to ask me what is the most difficult, what's the hardest uh, doctrine to obey, then I'd take you to this, do- the doctrine of submission, which is the doctrine of obedience. The doctrine of obedience is certainly the most difficult doctrine to obey, and yet that's what we're called to do. So I want to give you four reminders today about our submission. As we think about our submission to authority being our strongest apologetic, let me give you some reminders that may help you. You're still not going to like it, okay? (laughs) I can't do anything about that, but maybe this will help you surrender. Here's, Here's the first one. Our submission... Our submission, your submission, my submission is not about us. It's just not about us. Uh, Here's how Peter drills down. He says in verse 13, be subject. (laughs) That means to submit. It is an imperative command. It's not a, you know, if you're up to it, suggestion. Uh, Anybody in here ever serve in the military, men or women, or serving now currently? Or have in the past? Raise your hand. Yeah, thank you for your service. Amen. Yes. Um, praise the Lord. On this Memorial Day weekend, I'm so thankful for my Uncle Johnny, who died in his second tour of duty in Vietnam at, I mean, such a young age. Uh, 
uh, thankful for men and women that have that died serving our country. Thankful for those who are serving and have served now. So let me ask you, if you've served in the military and your commanding officer tells you to do something, is that a suggestion? <laughs> or is that a command? Yeah, it's a command. This is an imperative command. It's not a, mm, if you feel like it, suggestion. It's a command. And what is the command? To be subject. It's a military expression. It means to, I mean, file in, get in line, to arrange in a formation under the commander. That's what the word means, to obey, submit, to subject one to, or to subject oneself to. So that's the command, be subject. Now, as you read this, you'll discover, as we've already read it once, there's no exemptions here. Peter offers no exemptions. There's no exemptions at all in this text that we are to defy civil authority. Zero. None. So has Peter gone rogue in writing this part and not including a loophole for you and for me? Well, about a decade earlier, Paul wrote in Romans 13 the same thing. So 10 years earlier, Paul writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So here's both Peter and Paul offering no exemptions at all in Romans or 1 Peter that we might defy, freely defy civil authority and those that are in authority over us. Uh, that's hard to hear. Where's the loophole? I know when I started, I'm looking for the loophole. There's got to be one, right? Well, in this text, there's not one. And remember, both Peter and Paul, they're living during a time that they're under a Roman Empire. A Roman Empire that was filled with evil. A Roman Empire that had a corrupt government. An evil empire that was immoral. An evil empire that in the first century persecuted the church. A Roman Empire that was full of homosexuality and full of violence and full of all kinds of evil. And yet, they offer no exemptions in Romans or here that we can freely defy the authority over us. Even Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Did he not? But here's our temptation today. It's been my temptation all week. I've tried to do this all week. I said, I know what I'll do. I'll use this text as a diving board, and I'll dive off into a pool of another sermon. So what I'll do is I'll use this text, and then I'll take you to passages that justify civil disobedience. That's what I'll do. I'll use this text like a drunk uses a light post as, as support rather than illumination. I can use this text to race off to Exodus and tell you about the Egyptian midwives who rightly so, absolutely rightly so, they disobeyed Pharaoh out of reverence for God. Absolutely. I can take you to the book of Daniel and talk about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and how they 
doggedly refused to bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar's statue, rightly so, out of reverence to the Most High God. I can take you to the same book of Daniel, show you how Daniel himself faithfully refused to obey legislation prohibiting prayer to Yahweh. I can take you to the book of Acts, where this Peter... This same Peter stood in defiance against the authorities who told him to stop preaching in Jesus' name. And there's a host of other ones I could take you to to justify your sin and my sin of being disobedient whenever we like it. But that's not what we're going to do today. We're not going to use this text as a diving board. We're going to dive into this pool of this text, and we're going to swim around, and none of us are going to like it. But we're going to stay true to God's Word. We're going to hear from God. We're going to take God at His Word. And know this, our submission is not about us. This text is absolutely silent absolutely silent on anything that advocates civil disobedience. It's not here. There are other texts that do, absolutely. Yes, there are, but not this one. So we're going to stay true to this one. So our submission, first of all, we need to understand it's not about us. Secondly, our submission is not about them. It's not about them. Uh, Guy Fieri, Food Network, the chef on Food Network, just signed a three-year, $80 million extension. Did you hear that? He makes the same amount of money that Kevin Durant makes. If he were in the NFL, he'd be the 15th highest paid player in the NFL right now. He makes more money than Tom Brady makes each year. And he eats food. (laughs) I'm pretty good at eating food. Why can't I get a deal like that? And that's how we think. Man, somebody gets a sweet deal. I want a sweet deal. like. Why can't I get a sweet deal like that? Or we think, man, I got a raw deal. Why didn't they get a raw deal, God? I got a raw deal. What about them? What about them? What about them? What about them? Our submission is not about our rights, and our submission is not about their responsibilities. It's not. What's it about? Well, here's what Peter tells us here through the Holy Spirit, be subject to every human institution. That means every person in every office of every human institution. Be it the emperor, the king, the governor, state, local, national, whoever is in a place of authority, be subject to them. You know who was emperor during this time? Nero. The very emperor by whom Peter was martyred. And Peter is saying, honor Nero. He's going to martyr me, but honor him. That's Peter writing this. Governors, presidents, leaders, honor them. See, our submission has nothing to do with the character of the one to whom we're submitting. It has everything to do with God's command to submit. It's not about them has nothing to do with them. They could be good, they could be evil. They could be kind, they could be cruel. They could be pure, they could be impure. They could be godly, they could be ungodly. It doesn't matter. Our responsibility as citizens of another kingdom is to submit to the authority because that's our strongest apologetic of the real kingdom, the eternal kingdom, 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is for us to submit to those in authority over us. And I know we kind of struggle with emperor. We don't really have an emperor. We don't have kings. I mean, the last time we had a king was what, 1776? We don't have a king, right? But if, you were, if, if Peter was to step up here today, take this text and begin to pray, here's what he's going to say. All right, church, Memorial Day weekend, 2021, submit yourselves to Joe Biden, just like you submitted yourselves to Donald Trump. Romans 13 says the same God who put Biden in the White House is the same God who put Trump in the White House. There is no authority except what God has instituted. He is sovereign over it all. Do we believe that? When we don't obey him, it shows that we don't believe that. Do we believe that? And I know, I know what you're thinking because I've been thinking it all week. I know what you're thinking. All right, I'm, I'm to submit as a, as a believer who happens to be an American citizen, who happens to live in America. I'm a, first and foremost a follower of Christ, church, who is an American, blessed to live in this nation, blessed to be a part of this incredible nation. And I'm to submit to the leaders that have been put in authority over me. But what about them? What about them? I, I know as an employee, I'm to submit to my employer, but what about him or her? I know as, as a wife lady, I'm submit to my husbands, but what about them? What about them? What about them? Children, I know I'm obeying my parents, but what about them? What about them? What about them? I, I want you to understand Peter's scope. Peter's scope is very limited here. In fact, if you look at, look here with me, look at verse 18. Servants be subject to your masters. If you keep reading that, you'll notice there is no instruction for the masters. Only the servants, not the masters. Why is that? Because Peter's focus is limited here. He's only dealing with one side of the relationship. He's only dealing with one side of the coin. You go to Colossians and you go to Ephesians and you can read. Slaves, you do this. Masters, you do this. Children, you do this. Parents, you do this. Wives, this. Husbands, this. It covers both sides. Here it does not. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why Peter is so limited in his scope. That he is focusing on, he's talking about the good works of those who are most likely to be mistreated and those who are most likely to be persecuted. And we're going to see why in a minute. Paul gives us both sides in Colossians and Ephesians. Peter here does not. Now why would Peter do this? Why would he not give us both sides? I want you to take your Bibles, go left, all the way to the Gospel of John. John chapter number 21. Go to John 21, last chapter in the Gospel of John, and I want you to see this text toward the end of the, end of the book where Jesus reinstates Peter. He restores Peter. He reinstates Peter. Peter has denied him three times. Jesus has died, been buried, raised to life. He's appeared to people. He continues to appear to people in his resurrected state. And here's on one occasion, he appears to the disciples. And in John 21, we have this conversation between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus, through this conversation, is restoring Peter, reinstating Peter. He asks him a question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Look at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, 
You know that I love you. He said to him, Tim, my sheep, verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, verse 18, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19 gives us some insight here. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And then look at this. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Somebody say, follow me. Follow me. Peter, follow me. Now I want to show you just how wicked, desperately wicked, how evil our hearts are. (laughs) I want you to see this. Jesus has just restored him. He said, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to lead my sheep. I want you to intercede for my sheep. I want you to follow me. Now, ultimately, did Peter follow him? Yes. But initially, here's Peter's response. Jesus says, Peter, follow me. So, Peter, go this way. I'm walking this way. You follow me. Here's what Peter does. He turns around and looks the other way. That's how wicked our hearts are. Jesus says, follow me. And look at verse 20. Here's what Peter. Peter turned. And he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And here's what Peter said in verse 21. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Wives, you may be saying, my husband does not deserve me to submit to him. Can I tell you, he will never deserve it. It's not about him. You say, my boss is cruel, unkind. He doesn't deserve me to submit. He's never going to deserve it. It's it's not about him. It's, It's not about them. Peter says, Lord, I'm getting this deal. Well, you just told me how I'm going to die, but what about him? Jesus says, what is that to you? If if he lives until I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. I mean, this is not a suggestion. It's not about us. Our submission is not about them. But we want to find a loophole. So here's what we do. Look, Look at verse 14. I thought I found a loophole here. It says this. Or to governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So part of the government is to praise those who do good, punish those who do evil. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that our government is praising those who do good and punishing those who do evil? Do you believe that? I would guess you would probably say no to that question, right? But we have to understand something. When Peter wrote this, he's writing this under the reign of Nero. Certainly, what Nero and his empire call good is not what the Bible calls good. And what they call evil is not what the Bible calls evil. So this is not a loophole. This is what every government thinks they are praising those who do good and, and 
and punishing those who do evil in their own warped mind of what good and evil is. I don't care if it's a, if it's a dictator or whoever it might be. And sometimes they match up with Scripture, but most of the time they don't. So that is not a loophole here. It's not as long as the government's biblical, I'll obey, but no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with them. Our submission has nothing to do with the character of the ones to whom we're submitting. It has everything to do with God's command. I told you you were really going to like this message, didn't I? Our submission is not about our rights. It's not about their responsibilities. So you can't begin with, yes, I know I'm to submit, but... No, when you start with yes, buts, you are emptying this command altogether. You're just doing, you're just doing away with it. That's, there's no exemptions here. So our submission, not about us. It's not about them. Number three, our submission is not about now. We want everything now. We are such a now people. We don't operate in the now. As a church, we need an eternal perspective. We have to look with the lens of eternity and understand that we are citizens of a different kingdom. And we're not home yet. We're in this already but not yet situation, but we want it now. What do you do when you have 18 middle schoolers who are becoming high schoolers at your home for a pool party, and it's 10.33 at night, and they're hungry right now. What do you do? Well, here's what you do. You render to little Caesars the things that are little Caesars, (laughs) and you go make a pizza pizza run. That's what you do, because they want it now, right now. And we have to understand that when Peter is writing this, he's writing... This with the already and not yet in view. Eternity in view, not right now. And here's how he does it in verse 16. Look what he says. Live as people who are free. Right? Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a, literally the word is mask, as a mask for evil, to to, to cover up evil. Don't use your freedom in that way. and, And what Peter is referring to here is not political freedom. It's spiritual freedom. Freedom from the bondage of Satan and sin. Freedom from the power of death. Freedom from the control of this world system and the sinfulness. We're free from the penalty of sin. We're free from having to operate under the power of sin. And we're free one day will be free from the presence of sin. It's a spiritual freedom that he's talking about. Our freedom in Christ. And no no law can be made. No legislation can ever take that freedom away. Ever. But it's spiritual freedom. He's not talking about political freedom. When, When Peter wrote this, the Constitution of the United States of America was nowhere on the radar. Right? wasn't there this is not he's not writing from a constitutional perspective he's writing from a biblical perspective God never promises us church he never promises us that we will always enjoy the liberties and the freedom and praise God for them that we have as Americans that's not guaranteed forever what is guaranteed forever is our freedom in Christ That there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. So that's the freedom he speaks of. It's a spiritual freedom. Is it constitutional for the government to come after our guns? No, it is not. 
But that is not what he's dealing with here. He's dealing with a biblical, spiritual freedom that we have in Christ. And before we are an American church, we must understand we're first and foremost a follower of Christ. Then we get to live in the most blessed nation, in my opinion, in the whole world. But first and foremost, we're followers of Christ. I can remember I was 16 years old. I was working on a survey crew. I was, I was one of the grunts just working and cutting brush out of the way so the lineman could uh, look through his instrument and just be so precise on where that pipeline would go. And I'm just cutting away. I'm on this riverbank just cutting away. I mean, I'm just, I'm just I'm, I'm moving through there. And the instrument man is looking through there, and he's on the radio. He says, stop, stop. And he just took off and ran to where I was, and he was grabbing these, these leaves off this, uh, off this brush and just putting it in his pocket. He had a box. He was stacking it in, and I said, what are you doing? He said, you know what this is? I said, I don't have a clue what this is. He said, this is marijuana. This is marijuana plants. And I'm just, I'm just cutting them through. And every so many acres on that riverbank was a different patch of marijuana. It was a huge drug bust that that the company I work with found it and when we think about who is writing this please understand who it is it's Peter it's the same Peter listen if Jesus's disciples if they were going to have a revolt Peter would be in the front of the line he'd be out front if they were going to march he'd be out front he's the one that drew his sword and cut off the soldier's ear it was Peter the Lord said, Peter, sheathe that sword and unsheathe the sword that is sharper than any double-edged sword. Unsheathe the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. One pastor said it like this, a fish must honor its design. A fish was not designed by God, not created by God to live on land. Right? A fish was designed to live where? In water. It must. It has to. There's no other option. It must honor its design and live in water. In other words, this pastor was saying this. Real freedom, real freedom is not living without restrictions. It's finding the right ones. And here we have them, right here. And they're listed for us. In verse 17, and we're going to dive into that on this last reminder. Our submission is all about God. It's all about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about them. It's not about now. It's all about God. Every bit of it's about God. And and here's how we see this. In verse 13, it says, For the Lord's sake we subject ourselves. We submit to every human institution. Why? It's for the Lord's sake. Who's the Lord? His name is Jesus. And look what we are given here in this text. Listen, you you look at this and say, this is impossible. You're right, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And with God, this is possible. And so we have our example here. I want you to notice that Peter doesn't write this in verse 13 to 17 and say, hey, good luck. (laughs) Good luck, y'all go get them, good luck. No, he gives us one that we're to imitate. Look at this. Look at verse 21. 1 Peter 2, 21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, yet he died for all sin. 
This is what he says. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he was humiliated, abused, mocked, spit on, crucified, he, he, he didn't retaliate. That's what this means. He didn't retaliate. He didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Think about it. If Jesus... You've got to understand, there were a legion of angels ready for any second to swoop down and deliver Jesus from the cross. You have to know this. All Jesus had to do was think, y'all come on. And it would have been over. The, the, the work of redemption would still be unfinished if Jesus didn't die on that cross. He finished it. So, listen, our submission is all about God. And it's to imitate what Jesus has done. Did you deserve for Jesus to submit himself to the Father's will and die on the cross on your behalf? Did you deserve that? No, you didn't deserve that. Does everyone we are to submit to who is in authority over us, do they deserve that submission? Absolutely not. They don't. Not in and of themselves, they do because of the command and the word of God. And here's what God does. He gives us very practical in verse 17. He lays this out for us. Look at this. He says, honor everyone. Be kind. Man, kind people are my kind of people. Be kind to one another. Be kind to everybody. Don't just be kind to those who are your kind. Be kind to everybody. That doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. I went to that Red Bank Council meeting, board, uh, city council meeting several weeks ago. And man, great place to have your opinion shared. That's what that place is for. And everybody got up and shared their opinion. And yes, do that. You don't have to agree. Not everybody there agreed. That's fantastic. You don't have to agree. But as you disagree, be kind. As you give your opinion, be kind. Be kind. Yes, yeah, stand up for the truth and stand up for Be kind about it in the right manner. Honor everyone. Be kind to everyone. Love the brotherhood. Man, I love the fact that, that church, we got to be a part of supporting another Tennessee pastor and his wife and his family. I can't wait to share that story with you because now they're just great storytellers and they're doing this huge video. I can't wait for you to see that. Love the brotherhood. Love those who are part of the body of Christ. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And look at this. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. Don't worship the emperor. Don't worship the king. Don't worship the president. Honor him or her. But fear. Be in awe of. Worship God alone. Get those in order. See, and, and, and here's, here's a good word. Submission is not the end goal. That's our command, but that's not the end goal. What is the end goal for you and for me? It's to be like Christ, to be Christ-like. So to get there, we have to obey the doctrine of submission, there's not one time in the Gospels where Jesus stepped outside of the Father's will 
and did whatever he wanted to do outside of the Father's will. Not one time. He submitted to the Father's will. So if we want to be like Christ, we are to take the road of submission and submit. It's not the end goal, no, but it's the means to get there. So maybe you're here today and you say, man, I've never surrendered to Jesus as Savior personally. And that's a personal choice. You have to get to the place in your life. Your mom can't do it for you. Your dad can't do it for you. Your children can't do it for you. Your family and friends can't do it for you. The person sitting next to you can't do it for you. You need to surrender personally to Jesus as your personal Savior. That he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father except through him. But everybody who comes through him will get to the Father. So this is a choice you need to make. And if you're here today and you've heard this truth, that Jesus loves you, that he suffered and did not revile in return, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, by his wounds you've been healed, that he was raised on the third day. If you've heard this today, you believe this today, the Bible says you can be saved today. That today is the day of salvation. Stop putting it off. So here's what you need to do. You need to surrender to Jesus as Savior, personal Savior. You do that by admitting your sin. You do that by confessing Jesus as Lord. You do that by asking Him to forgive you. And I'm going to help you do that in a minute. For everybody else, you've already done that. You, you are a child of God. Here's a question Jesus asked His disciples that He's still asking today. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? Why? So maybe you're at a place where you need to surrender to Jesus as Lord. In fact, we all need to do that daily. Take up our cross daily. Deny ourselves. Following Jesus, who is Lord. So every day we've got to do it. We have to surrender every day to Him as Lord. So maybe you've yet to surrender, believer, to baptism. I don't know what you're waiting on. I really don't. It's pretty clear. Repent and be baptized. So why do you call Jesus Lord? You're not doing what He tells you to do. It's time for you to get baptized. time for you to come forward in this invitation if you're in the room and let us know. If you're watching in person, it's time for you to text the word WATER, W-A-T-E-R, to 79969 because it's time for you to be baptized. Maybe you've yet to surrender to church membership. I don't know what you're waiting on. Again, Jesus has called us to live in community with other believers. It's time for you to surrender and say yes to church membership. Or maybe a call on your life that God has placed. It's time for you to surrender and say yes. Let me remind you again. Our submission to authority is our strongest apologetic. Our submission to the Bible is our strongest bio. Our submission to Christ is our strongest cause. Our submission to doing the work of an evangelist, that's our strongest evangelistic work. Our submission to, to, to finish the race that has been set before us is our strongest apologetic to keep the faith. Our submission to goodness is our strongest apologetic to the good news. Our submission to having more gospel conversations is our greatest, strongest apologetic for the gospel. Our submission to those over us is our strongest apologetic to those under us. Our submission to those from the church house all the way to the White House is our strongest apologetic for those who are in our own house. 
our strongest apologetic uh, is, is our surrender to the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And that's our strongest apologetic to men, women, boys, and girls. Our strongest apologetic to pointing people to Jesus is surrendering to the one taking personal evangelism personally and surrendering to the one who says, I am the Lamb of God. Behold, I am coming soon. Behold, I was die, I die, but now I'm alive forevermore. Our strongest apologetic to those who claim they are woke is to submit to the authority of the one who awakens. Our submission to authority, church, it's our strongest apologetic. 